0: Okay, we can go. Okay. Mm, yes. Good day, everyone. We are uh, in the fourth parak in in Ovot and uh, the second Mishnah, Ben Azai Omer. That's Shimon Ben Azai. So the Talmud uh, regarded him as... Uh, one of the greatest of the scholars when they wanted to give an example of stood in the marketplace in Tveria and taught Torah. So, uh, The Gemara points out that Benazai never uh, married, did not have a family. But nevertheless, he is considered as one of the great people. It's not clear why. The Gemara says that it was uh, because his love for Torah was so great, he had no other room in his life. Uh, marriage, it may have to make room in your in one's life for the other person, and then for the family, etc. And uh, apparently, uh, he was unwilling or unable to do so. Uh, there may be other reasons, uh, but we are not aware of them. And uh, maybe maybe uh, that's the reason that in the Mishnah, I mentioned last week, Benzoma is not called Shimon Benzoma. That was his name because of the fact that he, uh, these were people that uh, went to heaven, so to speak, to learn the secrets of heaven. <clears throat> and uh, it had an effect upon them. So therefore, we only called him Ben Zoma. So to speak, to restore him to normalcy. And the same thing is why he's Ben Azai, and I'm Shimon Ben Azai. And it could be because uh, because his great spirituality and ascending to heaven and knowing secrets, etc., all of these things operated against Uh, his having uh, what we would call uh, a more normal life and existence. But nevertheless, uh, he is included, as all of them are in the Mishnah, even the apostate Acher, Lisha Ben Avuyo, is also included. A very uh, revealing uh, insight into how Chazal judged people. In our time, if a person is 90% positive and 10% negative, so he's still excluded. We want perfection. Chazal saw that you could uh, somehow still take the good out of people, even if they themselves were not worthy anymore. Anyway, it's very difficult for us to make such judgments, really beyond the uh, ken of our ability. And uh, therefore, uh, Ben-Azai here is treated as one of the great Tanoim as he was, what does he teach us? So the first thing he says, have a there's uh, a level of enthusiasm that's really necessary to be Jewish. If one is not enthusiastic about being Jewish, if one feels that somehow it was something that was just imposed upon the person, so then very little can be expected from him. Because we know in life <clears throat> that things that we're enthusiastic about have importance in our life, and most of the time we're successful at things that we have enthusiasm about. A person is enthusiastic about uh, his profession, or about uh, the, uh, the business, or about the work. So then that enthusiasm translates into doing it well, and eventually therefore into success. But uh, Woe to the person, and we all know this to be true, that, you know, you have a job that you hate. You have something that you're not enthusiastic about. One of the uh, strange things in life is that people start out to be something because of whatever reasons. He's going to be a lawyer, he's going to be a doctor, he's going to, if he goes to school, spends an enormous amount of money to get the education, he gets the degree, he begins to practice, he doesn't like it. He just doesn't like it. Well, if he doesn't like it, it's misery. And then, uh, not only misery, one is not really uh, successful at one's uh, line of work because he doesn't want to do it. You get up in the morning and every morning you say, hey, hey I have to be a lawyer again today. And therefore you have many times, I speak about lawyers particularly, because uh, Statistics have shown, at least in the United States, that a high percentage of lawyers, 25, 30% of those who graduate law school never really actually practice law. They go into business, they do other things. Doesn't speak to them. And uh, to get up every morning and have to do something that you don't want to do, So you have to do it because you have to put bread on the table. You have to support the family. You have obligations, but that's pretty much a miserable life. Now, if we'll translate that into our spiritual life, to do mitzvahs without enthusiasm, Uh, really, uh, it's uh, eating very uh, hard bread, it's uh, chew, chew, chew. My Rebbe used to say a famous phrase of his was that for most people life is a little like chewing gum, there's a little flavor at the beginning but then the rest is chew, chew, chew. You have to want to do a mitzvah. To get up in the morning and say, I have the opportunity today to do what God wants me to do, to fulfill a commandment, to accomplish a great thing, to help build eternity in me and my family, the Jewish people and the world. I have that opportunity. And therefore, I will go at it enthusiastically. Have a roots, I'll run to it, because enthusiasm always translates itself into our own physical behavior. And statistics have shown, in many studies, that uh, uh, people who are uh, enthusiastic about their work, about what they are doing, Uh, retain uh, better health and even longer life than people who are afflicted by boredom Mm -hmm. and uh, simple habit. I remember uh, when I uh, headed the OU so there was a wonderful Jew who owned a uh, poultry farm in Pennsylvania, and he uh, provided the rock Cornish hen, a small chicken uh, that the caterers uh, at that time, that was uh, like the piece de resistance that all uh, the kosher caterers used to serve as the main course, was rock Cornish hen. And I remember that when I visited the uh, farm and uh, checked on the schritte and then on the process of koshering uh, the the, uh, chicken, Uh, the owner was so enthusiastic about every little chicken that he had. And when we found something wrong with a chicken and it couldn't be made kosher, he naturally accepted that, but he felt very badly, not because he wasn't going to make any money on this chicken. And the percentage was very small, maybe 2% didn't make it, but because of the fact that it wasn't perfect. He wanted to have, if we killed the 12,000 birds that day, he wanted all 12,000 to be good because he was enthusiastic about his product. He spoke about it lovingly and it was not a question of money. So that's one type of enthusiasm. And then there's another type of enthusiasm that uh, lacks that feeling. So you perform the mitzvah, but the mitzvah is uh, pretty bland. And that measures itself, in, that's what he means by ruts. You should run. You should have a physical eye in doing a mitzvah. And that translates itself also into uh, what we call hidur mitzvah, to exalt the mitzvah. because that makes the mitzvah very important to us. You know, a lot of people, uh, when we become bar mitzvah, so our father buys for us a pair of twil. So I'm speaking certainly about my generation. Uh, it's, uh, I, I have seen great improvement in that in the later generations that exists today. But in my generation, the usually the parent film that you got for your bar mitzvah was uh, not really uh, super class A. And people went through years uh, wearing this film that were uh, barely kosher and sometimes not even kosher and i uh, heard from a rabbi that i knew that he was talking once about his fa- to his father and his father has still had the bar mitzvah film from 50 years ago which is pretty ragged. And the father was driving a very expensive automobile. So the rabbinic son gently said to his father, you know, somebody that drives a Lexus shouldn't have films that are like a Chevrolet. How do we look at a mitzvah? So uh, in the in Kabola, the Ari points out that one should never haggle over the price of a mitzvah. There are prices that you're allowed to haggle, bargain. Want to buy a car? Try and get the best deal. You want to buy a house? Try and get the best deal want to buy jewelry, get the best deal, and in fact, there are entire uh, uh, areas of uh, commerce that are built on the principle that there's going to be haggling, that you're going to bargain, so that when the price is said, that's not really the price, and uh, so then there's nothing wrong. That's uh, commerce. That's bargaining back and forth. People have to come to a mutual understanding. So, whatever it is, it is. But when it comes to a mitzvah, the Ari says you're not allowed to haggle. You come to buy a mezuzah, the parchment. Well, many times people spend a lot more money on the case than they do on the parchment. The parchment is the mitzvah, not the case. So they asked, what's the price? And he says, you know, I don't know, $40, $50 for the parchment. So much. Too much and you haggle, and you bargain, and you get it for the $40. So the purchaser leaves with a sense of having accomplished something. He got a $50 mezuzah for $40. But in reality, that mezuzah is not going to do it for him. Because he bargained it. He already cheapened it. And therefore, it has lost some of its luster. And some of its power of mitzvahs. So therefore, mezuzahs, tefillin, tzitzit, whatever they tell you the price is, that's the price. You can check beforehand, well, you know, what's the range, etc. But you can't bargain. Because by bargaining then you automatically diminish the mitzvah. And that's true, and it's an outlook generally on the, if I uh, somebody wants uh, X amount of money for his house and someone else offers him Y smaller amount, so he's already diminished the house. And it doesn't mean that uh, you have to accept the first uh, price when it comes to a house, but when you're buying ta- uh, the things that are tashmishnei Gdusha, you should never haggle. And so if the sofer tells you this is what it costs to write a safer Torah, and that's what it costs. And you shouldn't say to him, "But you know, uh, give me a discount. You know me. I buy from you, etc." That's that's cruel, and that diminishes the mitzvah. So one has to deal with a mitzvah with enthusiasm. Now, enthusiasm is like a collector. There are people who are collectors. I remember, for example, I had a set of books that I uh, assiduously uh, sworn, very, very good. Today they're completely obsolete because it's all on the computer. But it was uh, like uh, the Concordance for the Gomorrah, many, many volumes, and I collected them, bought it over years, wherever I went. to a bookstore, I found the volume, I found it. And I was missing one. and Nobody had it. I went to all of my usual haunts of the bookstores here in Yershalaim, in Brooklyn, in Muncie. No one had this volume. And I practically gave up on it. And then... One day, I found it in the back of a bookstore, amongst a pile of books that looked like they were going to be discarded. And I took it, and I came to the counter to the owner of the bookstore, who knew me. And I said to him, I want to buy this book. How much is it? So he said to me, how much are you willing to pay? I said, you're the seller. I'm the buyer. I'm willing to pay whatever you say. She said, if you're willing to pay whatever I say, it must be that you really want this book. So then it has a greater value to you. So I remember what he said was uh, he wanted $30 for it or $40 for it. Ordinarily the book was $10, and I gladly paid it, because now I had the set, so it had greater value to me. It's the same thing with a mitzvah. I have a whole set of mitzvahs that I've done in my lifetime, and now I have a chance to do another mitzvah, I can complete the set. So, whatever he says, it costs, it costs. And a collector is enthusiastic to buy. And a collector is willing to, so to speak, overpay. Because to him it has an added value over and above the worth of the binding and the printing and the book itself. So that's what Ben Azai is teaching us every ruts. When it comes to mitzvahs, you have to have enthusiasm. You have to say to yourself, "I'm uh, look, I have this opportunity to do what the Lord wanted me to do. Today I'm a shliach Hashem for this, for this. And we have countless mitzvahs that occur to us every day. So when we do it, we should do it with enthusiasm. The or Moshe Chaim Lutzato in his Sefer has a whole chapter on Zrizus. Zrizus is enthusiasm. Chazal described koanim, koanim zrizime. What was the... the what was the, the facet of personality that identified the Kohen? Was that he was enthusiastic about his work, about his service. And therefore, he did it with alacrity and with pride and correctly. That's all part of Zrizus. But the one is, Chazal uh, called it, Mitzvah Sanar It becomes habit. It becomes rote. it doesn't generate within the person any feeling of enthusiasm, that one is doing a great and noble and eternal thing. So that's a problem. And then he says, the opposite side, to flee, to run away from the possibility of sin. There are people who like to live on the edge. Uh, that's always a human temptation. And therefore, to them, there is no uh, buffer zone. There is no uh, space between the Avera and where they are. Especially in our modern society, which to a great extent has gone off the rails completely. So, uh, the Aveira is uh, ever-present wherever you go. It's almost unavoidable. I says we should run away from it. Don't get close to it. Don't think that it's okay, I can handle it. Because most people can't handle it. There are exceptions. My mother used to say about certain uh, friends of mine in the yeshiva who were very uh, wise and uh, pious and really brilliant, and they turned out to be as well. So he, she used to tell me uh, he, could, he, could learn, he could learn Torah even if he was working in the Vatican. So there are people that have, so to speak, an immunity built into them. But most, most, most people do not have that at all. And therefore, uh, we need an environment that's holy. We need an environment that is supportive of mitzvahs. We have to flee from our veris. And we have to flee from the possibility of our barriers. People uh, mock the fact that uh, in many Orthodox circles, both in the United States and here in Israel, uh, people don't have phones that connect to the internet. They have uh, phones that they need to use uh, that give them uh, the service they need, but they don't. They're unable to latch onto the internet. So people laugh at it. They say, you know, it's the 21st century. What do you mean you're not on the internet? I'll come in. But the truth of the matter is that we all know that the internet contains a lot of poison. So if you have no access to it, then you're then you fled. Even if you wanted to, you can't. You took defensive measures. But if you're living on the edge, one press on the button and you can ruin your life. literally ruin your life. So that's Pshad Bore Ahmed Aveira. Flee from the Aveira. Don't just say I'm not going to commit the Avera. He remembers that uh, uh, there's a famous Hasidic story that uh, the Rebbe called in one of the Hasidim and he said, you know, people, people on the street come to me and they say that you're not, you're not honest, you're a thief in business. So the Chassid said, Rebbe, that's not true. And the Rebbe said, it should be true yet? It's not enough that they say it? It should be true yet? God forbid. That's part of Borei Yachmin Havera, not living on the edge, not giving room for people to say, So then as says, goreras, mitzvah, uh, Avera, If you're enthusiastic about mitzvahs, then the Lord will provide you with a lot of mitzvahs. You always have opportunities to do mitzvahs. One mitzvah gorer drags the opportunity to do other mitzvahs. We know that people who are philanthropic and are well known for their generosity, they never have a problem as to what to do with their money. People are always there. So one can look at it as sometimes, understandably, people do look at it as a burden Everybody's knocking on my door. Everybody's ringing my bell. Well, one can look at it as an additional opportunity. And there's a line there somewhere also. But it depends on the mindset of the person. Whether the enthusiasm for mitzvahs is there. I remember that uh, once I uh, spoke, I think it was in St. Louis, Missouri, and I was staying at the home of a very dear friend of mine, who was a classmate in the yeshiva with me, and he uh, was a very successful uh, investment counselor, stockbroker, etc. He had a lot of clients. And I remember that when I finished speaking and we came home, it was already 10.30, 11 o'clock at night. And he got on the phone and he started calling two, three, four of his customers, 11 o'clock at night, to tell them that he believed that tomorrow there would be an opportunity to buy this and this uh, security, and that he recommended it to them. And when he hung up, it was about midnight, and I still was up with him. So I said to him, you know, I, how do you have the nerve to call up people 11 o'clock at night, 1130 at night, and t- you know, wait till the morning? He said, you don't understand. That's why he said people uh, want to invest with me, because they know if I know something and I have a good recommendation for them, I'll call them even if it's two in the morning. They're grateful for the opportunity I'm giving them. I thought to myself, you know, I don't have that kind of nerve. You know, I I don't call up uh, people uh, two in the morning and say, you know, I have uh, a very good uh, cause that I want you to contribute to. I know a very great family that needs your help. I know of an orphan bride that we have to marry off. I wouldn't call anybody 11 at night. So I really don't feel that it's such an opportunity, because if I felt it was such an opportunity, then why wouldn't I call them? And thenaz uh, I emphasizes that idea. So one mitzvah brings to other mitzvahs. Mitzvahs are not done in a vacuum. If you become someone who is known, I'm not just talking about money and philanthropy, but someone who is known as someone that does mitzvahs, helps people, studies Torah, supports uh, good causes and Talmideh Chachamim has respect for people and Talmideh Chachamim. We are all built on the foundation of having respect for Talmideh Chachamim. I may not agree with everything that Talmud Chacham says, and I may not like all of his personal habits, or uh, I may not approve of his personality, and I have to respect him for his Torah. So, if you're known as such a person, then mitzvahs opportunities will come. You get to meet others, as well. I remember what I was on Miami Beach. So I met uh, tens and tens of great talmidei chachomim who. Uh, were in Miami Beach during the winter, now many of them uh, were were controversial people, let's put it that way, espoused views that were not necessarily popular, or had uh, personality quirks that other people uh, discounted them. But I always went to see them and tried to become friends with them and learn from them because I felt it was an opportunity. Rabbi Meir even did it with his Rebbe Elisha Menavuya. He said, I ate the essence of his knowledge. I threw out the peel. And that's Rebbe Mayer. It was the great man that could do that. But that, again, because these are opportunities. And all of life has to do with opportunities. Anybody in business knows uh, it's opportunities. It's uh, what can be done now with what exists. So mitzvah goer is mitzvah. Mitzvah brings more opportunities to you. The same way that in business, you know, everybody says it's the first million or two million are the hardest. Once you have that kind of money, opportunities come to you. The world then makes it much easier. That's how these people build up to be billionaires. It's worth 40 billion, 30 billion. How do you get to be worth that amount of money? The answer is that once you've got big money then all the opportunities in the world are open for you. And once they're open so then it becomes easier to pile more and more on. And the same thing is true the opposite. Avera, Guerrero, Savera. You do, uh, God forbid, an Avera, there'll be other Averas that will come from it. There's no limit. We all know that it's not the crime that usually brings down the person, it's the cover-up. That's Avera Guerrero's Avera. The crime is the first Avera, but the real Avera becomes the cover-up that brings the person down. Every avera has consequences, just like every mitzvah had consequences. So the mitzvah had positive consequences, and the avera had very negative consequences. And a person can suffer one's entire life for an avera that one did as a young person, and he never realized that it would haunt him, or her for 60, 70 years, and therefore, uh, life has a uh, very, very delicate quality to it, you have far, far reaching consequences to what we do, and Ben Azai points that out to us. And that therefore the enthusiasm to do a mitzvah has great consequences. And God forbid, if you don't run away from the Avera, the Avera will eventually catch up to you. The opportunity will be there for the Avera. It's going to be hard to walk away from it. And when that happens, then it opens all sorts of things. And it reflects itself in the smallest little of things. So uh, these are great lessons. All of are great lessons for us. But the fact that uh, there are things in life that one should flee from, no matter what stage of life we're in. The Gemara and Sukha tells us that... Uh, the elders, uh, if the elders felt that uh, they had lived good lives so they said we are happy that our old age confirms what we did uh, right in our lifetime. But if they felt that they had done things that were wrong, they said well we are happy that in our old age we are able to correct to the extent that we can what we did wrong in our youth. And that's the concept. We're coming now to the month of Elu and coming to the Yom and the Rorym and the Yom Kippur. There's always an opportunity to correct. And by correcting, so then we get to the level of mitzvah, goveris mitzvah, and we escape from Averro Guerrero Saverro. And these are the great ideas here that Benazai teaches us and things that we should internalize and keep and think of ourselves in this fashion. So again, I want to thank you all for listening. Uh, Thursday, we will have the class on the Parsha. And next Sunday again, God willing, on oval be well, everyone. Stay well. We'll hear good news one from another.